following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, this week I was, um, I know some people are Google people, some people are Bing people. I happen to be a Bing person myself. If I'm going um, to try to find some information about something online, I go to Bing. I, I don't know why, that's just what I do. Some of you go to Google. I make more people go to Google. I'm a little bit, I, I like to swim upstream sometimes. So, so I go to Bing. And um, if, if you do go to Bing, I don't know if Google does this, but Bing, if you go to, you type in bing.com on, on your computer, on your phone, whatever, it will usually pop up, you know, your search little line right there. But it, it always has a picture as well. Um, a picture from somewhere around the world, you know, usually, and then they've got like being plastered all over. If you try to copy and paste that picture, good luck, not going to happen. Um, but one that they had this week that just jumped off the screen at me was one that was the result of an archaeological dig at the city of Pompeii. Right, city of Pompeii. If you know, as you probably heard about this, the Mount, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius back in the first century, destroyed, I mean destroyed, the city of Pompeii. But over the years, they have begun digs, and they have begun to to try to find out more about what this incredible city was like. And one thing that they found in the streets of Pompeii was this, and they had a picture of it this week. Maybe some of you saw it. It was a street vendor snack bar in the city of Pompeii. And I, I took it, and I can't copy and paste it, but I can blow it up really, really big. And I blew it up really big. And you know what I saw when I blew it up really big? I saw, right, there's all these kind of bins with these, these kind of deep bowls and stuff. And right here to the side, there was a metal rack with three hot dogs on it. I'm serious. It was there. You had to blow it up really, really big. And if you blew it up even bigger, you'd see some hot mustard and some kraut right beside it. I mean, I'm telling you guys, Hot dogs will survive anything. If they can survive 7-Eleven, they will survive anything. I'm telling you, all right? Now, maybe there wasn't a hot dog. Maybe I'm making that up just a little bit. But if you did go there, you would find that there in Pompeii, of all places, 2,000 years ago, a snack bar street vendor type thing. And I'm thinking, 2,000 years, some things never change, you know? I mean, it looked like it could be something out of the Golden Corral, just right there, only it was on, it was on a street. Some things just never change. Um, 2020, they have called it a lot of different things. Some of the, some of the names for 2020, I cannot repeat up here. Um, uh, but, but I will say, one that, one that I saw was this. It was the year of adaptation. Um, that's, that's one, uh, kind of a title that I saw for 2020. Um, and I've, I, you hear this, people talk in this way of, of some things, it's just, it will never be the same. It will never be the same. Now, interestingly enough, usually when that phrase is used, it has a negative connotation to it. It's just not going to be the same anymore. You see, human beings, for the most part, are not fans of change. They're really not. Now, they might say they are, but their actions, for the most part, betray the truth that 
we as human beings, we don't like change. That, we like to maintain that status quo. Let's just, just keep that going. This, there's a problem to that, though, and the problem is this. The status quo for human beings is not very impressive. It's just not. Now, don't get me wrong. Human beings are made in the image of God, and we see glimpses of that at different times. There are incredible displays of generosity and genuine compassion that take place throughout parts of humanity at different times. But... For the most part, that made in the image of God has been corrupted. It was corrupted by all of our most ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they messed things up. And the result of that is this. Human beings began very much, this became the status quo. Look out for number one. Look out for me. The book of Romans from our New Testament is Paul's, and probably in the bigger context, not just Paul's, but God's solution for the human being status quo. All right, this look out for number one. Now, Romans chapter 1 through Romans 11 um, could be subtitled, I guess it's more than a subtitle, because that's a pretty big chunk of scripture, but it could be entitled in this way, what God has done. Romans 1 through 11 is an incredible picture of what God has done for his people. And when you jump into Romans 12 through the end of Romans, it's my turn. It's your turn. It's what we do in response. And Romans 12 begins a practical day-to-day section of Romans. If you're someone who likes practicality when you look at scripture. You like to be told what to do and how to do it on a day-to-day basis because that's just your mindset and that's what you like. You're a list person or something along those lines, all right? Then Romans, and you really like the book of James from the New Testament, Romans chapter 12 verse through chapter 16 is kind of that way. And the very first word we get in Romans 12, 1, in the New American Standard anyway, is this. Therefore, therefore, there's a reason why it begins this way. And we're going to find out right here in the first verse of Romans chapter 12. This We find out that in the last 2,000 years, a lot of things have changed. They have. But there is still, amongst the people of God, there is still room for sacrifice. Okay, Romans chapter 1 through 11 is what God has done for us. And then you see it right at the beginning, first verse of chapter 12, because of what he has done for us. Therefore, this is what we do. Okay. You see, there is still room for sacrifice. I can tell you this right now. 2021 is ahead of us and it will not become the year of blood sacrifice here at Deering. We're not going to ask you to bring something to kill on this stage next week. No lambs, No sheep, you know, no goats, nothing, anything like that. That is not what we're doing. But the place for sacrifice remains almost 2,000 years after the beginning of the church that ended the blood sacrifice of God's covenant, the blood sacrifice of all blood sacrifices. But there still is room for sacrifice. Let's take a look at verse 1. Chapter 12 of Romans, and this is what it says. Therefore... I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Present yourselves. What is our sacrifice to God? It's us. That doesn't mean that we die physically. Now, don't get me wrong. There are those who have paid. We call it the ultimate price for anything that you believe in. That's just what we say. If someone pays the ultimate price, you immediately, where your mind goes, and there's probably good reason for it, that they have given their life for a cause. In this case, given a life for the message of Jesus Christ, the best cause ever. And we call them, we have a name for them, we call them martyrs. And we hold them in high esteem. And there is good reason for that. And there are brothers and sisters this day, this time that we live in, in our sophisticated world around us, who are still dying physically for their faith in Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. But let me tell you something. There is something harder than dying for Jesus. You know what that is? Living for him. Living for him on a day-to-day basis. This is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, he said to die is what? He said to die is gain. That means, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. How he said it later in 2 Timothy is this, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. Laid up before me is a crown. It is awaiting me. To die is gain. But before he says that, he says this. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So what does it mean? If we look back here to Romans 12.1. What does it mean to be a living and holy sacrifice? How do we do that on a day-to-day basis? After all, we're in the practical part of Romans now. How do we do that day-to-day? Well, the next verse spells it out for us, all right? And what we will see in this next verse is something that is incredible. We, we will see something, and what it is is radical change. Radical change. You know, in Scripture, there are multiple examples of radical change taking place in human beings. One of the very first ones we see happened to a guy named Moses. Yeah, Moses, that guy. Okay, and and we're talking about that Moses from a long, long time ago. That Moses who found himself in life, and there was quite a series of events that led him to this place, but he was a humbled, I'm not talking about humble, put a D on the end of it. He was a humbled shepherd in the middle of nowhere. That's where he was when God showed up. And he went from being a humbled shepherd to a national hero who would lead an entire nation out of the greatest power in the world, the power of Egypt. And he would go and he would lead Israel away from Egypt and out of Egypt, doing the bidding of God himself. Credible transformation taking place there. Okay, radical change. Here's another one, David. We call him King David. It's interesting that you see this theme throughout Scripture. He too was a shepherd, but not a humbled shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. All right. He and I'm not talking about you know the Christmas song. This came long before the Christmas song with the shepherd boy David, and he would go from a shepherd boy, radical change, incredible change, and he would become the king of the nation of Israel. 
Fast forward a little bit from there and you'll find a guy named Saul who happens to be the author of the passage of scripture we're looking at today. Saul who was a domestic terrorist. That's exactly what he was. Look up the definition of domestic terrorist and you will see something that describes Saul quite accurately. And what made, you know what made him even more dangerous? His terrorism was legal. There was nobody trying to stop him. And he was seeing people killed. He was throwing people in prison who were following Jesus. That's what he was. And he went from that to becoming God's chosen messenger to the Gentiles. Amen, hallelujah, because we're Gentiles in this room. All right? Radical change. But you know what? The most radical change found in all of Scripture was a complete physical transformation found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke chapter 9. Matter of fact, I preached about it back in April. Anybody remember? That's a long time ago. I I can't even remember what I preached about last week. I don't know about you. We were talking about quite a while ago. It was a little different because there wasn't anybody in this room. I was preaching to an empty room. And we were talking about radical change taking place in Luke chapter 9. The title of the sermon was this, Christophany. And it's not even a word. I made it up. And what it was about was this. Jesus Christ showing up with his glory not hidden. See, when Jesus was laid in that manger, and from that time until he ascended into heaven, the, the, the greater part of his glory was hidden. Okay? For, except for just one, one brief moment. And there were some people who got to witness this. It was Jesus and PJ and J. All right? It's not peanut butter and jelly. It was Peter, James, and John. All right, And they went up on the mountain, went up on the mountain with Jesus, not knowing what's going to take place. And when they get there, guess who's there? Moses and Elijah. The same Moses and Elijah who'd been dead for centuries are there. And if that's not amazing enough, what was even more amazing than that was Jesus was transfigured before these three men. For just a moment, he put his glory back on. And the apostles were dumbstruck, all except Peter. Dumbstruck means you can't talk. Peter could always talk, all right? And Peter's like, dude, this is awesome. Let's build some tents. Let's just build some tents, um, and let's stick around here for a while. I'm loving this, all right? Let's build us some tents. I've always looked at that scripture and think, build tents. Peter, you're a fisherman. You don't even know how to build tents. That's what Paul would do later. What are you thinking? It's not sooner than the words come out of Peter's mouth. He doesn't know what he's saying. I mean, he is, like I said, they are struck by the the view in front of them, the incredible, powerful view. And guess who speaks up? God. And he said, this is my son. The son whom I am incredibly pleased with. And then it's almost like, he doesn't say his name, but you know he's talking to Peter. (laughs) Listen to him. Listen to him. You know, that transfigured word found there in Luke chapter 9, the the Greek word behind that is metamorpho. Does that ring any bells? Metamorphosis. Metamorpho. And what it means is radical change. You see, Jesus just didn't put on a hint of his glory. He put his glory on. 
And the result was this. Peter, James, and John were frightened. (laughs) And that's putting it mildly. Radical change. You know, it reminds me of another passage of Scripture that has some change talk in it. And I thought this week as I studied for sure that this same word would be used. And that comes, you can turn there if you'd like. We'll come back to Romans chapter 12, so, so put a finger there. And you're not going to have to turn far. It's, it's, it's just a few pages over. 1 Corinthians 15. We touched on it last week when we were looking at 2 Corinthians 5. But we didn't actually go there. 1 Corinthians 15, as I said last week, this is something that should be preached, spoken, taught, looked at more often than just funeral services, all right? 1 Corinthians 15 is an incredible passage of Scripture about what awaits God's people. And if you look down to verses about 50, 51, and 52, I'm going to start in 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Read a couple verses. This is Paul speaking. This is what he says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all be sleep. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be I'll tell you what, guys, you read the next few verses that follow that, talking about this thing that we're wearing. We spoke about this last week. This perishable thing that we're wearing is going to be changed into something imperishable, something glorious, something that will last forever. And it will happen by the hand of Jesus Christ. And I thought, of all places, that's where we're going to find this Greek word, metamorpho. All right? Because you talk about radical change, that's radical change. And guess what? I was like, oh yeah, it's there. I looked it up. Nope, I was wrong. No metamorpho there. As a matter of fact, there was another Greek word there that there is no way I'm going to be able to pronounce, so I'm not even going to try. Okay? But I can tell you what it means. It doesn't mean radical transformation or radical change. It means this, to be something that is exchanged for another. Now, many years ago, many, many moons ago, I've told you about this before. I I worked at Walmart. And I, occasionally, I was trained in the service desk. If there's one place you do not want to be in this whole world, it's the service desk of Walmart the day after Christmas. It is heck on earth. Okay? I mean, they, that's back when Joplin just had one Walmart instead of like four or five of them, all right? It's the number two Walmart in the nation, okay? So they would, set up, they would set up these poles with ropes in between them that stretched out into the parking lot for people to line up to come to the service desk to bring stuff that was, they already broke or stuff that they didn't want and exchange it for something else, okay? And that's the picture that is painted in 1 Corinthians 15. This broken thing that we have worn will be changed into something that cannot be broken. Exchanged, all right? So I was mildly disappointed when I did not find metamorpho in 1 Corinthians 15. But you know where I did find it? Yeah, you guessed it. 
Romans 12, 2. And we probably ought to read that together if I can get my notes apart here. All right. Romans 12, 2. says this. And do not be conformed. As I've told you, Romans 12, 2 is how we are to be living sacrifices. So, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Radical change is what's being talked about here in Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed radically. And how does this take place? Romans 12, 2 tells us it takes place by the renewal of our minds. What is that getting at? Well, we need to understand something very, very important about conversion. All right? And when I, when I, when, don't, don't misunderstand. When I'm talking about conversion here. I'm not talking about anything that you learn in arithmetic, all right, math class. No, I'm talking about conversion. How somebody goes from being a person of the world to a person of Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's conversion, right? And there's something we need to understand, something that's very important about conversion. And maybe one of the best ways to help us through this mental process of me explaining it and us understanding it would be to look at some of the thoughts of C.S. Lewis. Let me tell you something. I know Christmas is behind us, okay? But there will be another Christmas coming, and it will be here before you know it. Trust me. You've been at this a while. You know it won't be long. Okay? And if you have some followers of Jesus in your life, I tell you right now, great, great, great book to get them. One of the, I, I, I almost think it ought to be required reading of every follower of Jesus Christ. And it is written by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity. Incredible book. And in that book, he talks about a lot of different things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He defends the logical process of becoming a follower of Jesus. Incredible book. Now, this is what he, he talks about. He says this. He says, imagine your life being like a home, if you will. A home that you, you reside in. All right? But, but just picture it in your mind in this way. All right. Now, now here's the deal. You've got a problem because you've got a big hole in the roof right over your kitchen stove. All right? And I'm not talking about an exhaust fan. This is a hole. In the roof, every time it rains, it leaks. It is a big problem. Okay, so, so that's a problem that you have, and God is the contractor that you call to come and take care of your problem. Like any contractor, he shows up, he gives you his terms, tells you what he's going to do. You agree to those terms, and he agrees to fix your home. So what's he do? He fixes the hole above the stove. And you're thinking, well, good job. Looks great. And you think the job's done. But guess what? He doesn't stop. He tears down a few walls. Okay? Rebuilds 
some others. He goes in there and decides, ah, this bathroom just isn't right. We're going we're gonna to change this. And he not only puts in this amazing walk-in shower, okay? He puts in this giant closet, okay? And he puts one of those, he puts, he puts one of those toilets in there that, like, you actually like going and going to the bathroom because this thing's like magic. I mean, it's amazing. And he goes from there and he goes into the dining room, makes it bigger, puts another level out there. And then you know what he does? He's like, you know what? This just, I mean, he puts a huge patio, covered patio, in the back, and then he starts working on landscaping. And he just goes on and on and on. And this is the thing, you're like, all I'm looking for was a simple repair. I had a problem, I wanted you to come fix it. Here's the deal. God was looking at taking your little home and turning it into a mansion. A complete transformation. Why? Because he's going to live there. That's why. So you show up, want God to take care of a problem. You agree to his terms. And what's he do? He changes your life. This is why the work is not done when we are reborn. Let me, let me tell you something. Because Jesus brought this whole thing up when Nicodemus, he had that conversation with Nicodemus. You can read about it in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus has a glimpse. He kind of knows there's something different about this Jesus guy. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, he says, you got to be reborn. I mean, nobody's going to be in my father's kingdom except for those who are reborn. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? It's rebirth. It's, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's confession of his name. It's repentance. We'll more about that here in a second. It is baptism. It is a rebirth. A brand new thing is born. A brand new you is born. But here's the deal. The work is not done when we are reborn. Now, don't get me wrong. The saving work is done. Because that's what God does. And he has saved us. But the transforming work isn't done yet. You see... C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, when God, and we've talked about this a lot, when God looks at you, he sees, I've told you this before, he already sees Jesus. Do you understand? That's what the blood of Jesus does. So you think you're the scum of the earth? When God sees you, he sees his son. And what did he tell those three guys on top of the mountain about his son? I'm pleased with him. When God sees you. He's pleased because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. But it's not the end of it. That's what God sees. Jesus stands beside you and me, turning us more and more into the image of him that God already sees. Do you know what this is? From Romans 12 too, it is the renewing of the mind. It tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not to be conformed to this world. Let me tell you something about this world. This world is an incredibly powerful and powerful cookie cutter. That's what this world is. And the world wants desperately for everyone to have the same shape. And it's not a good shape. 
And Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Do not be conformed to that. He says, be transformed. Metamorpho, be radically changed by the renewing of your mind for a purpose. Look how verse 2 ends. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be radically changed by the renewal of our minds for a purpose. Let me tell you something. God's will is not complicated. It's not. I'm not going to sit up here and try to tell you I know all of the facets of God's will. I, 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 don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know if the events in the world that we see going on around us to the minute detail is, is, is God's will taking place or is that just the result of a fallen world that we live in. I, I can't tell you those mysteries, but I can tell you this without a doubt in my mind. The ultimate game plan of God, his will ultimately is this, the salvation of people. That's God's will. That's the ultimate goal of God's incredible love. And it is one of the main reasons why we desire change in our lives. So that others will see that change. And say, how did this happen? You're not the person you used to be. I went to high school with you. I actually went to high school with John. We went to high school together. Took art class. Miss Pierce. I remember. You're not the same guy. (laughs) And neither am I. It's because God changes people. When people see you, they should see change. Good change. It has a lot to do with letting our light shine, being light. What is God's will? The salvation of souls. Is that a part of our desire? Is that an overwhelming desire of our hearts? To see people saved from the internal damnation of hell. And be born again. So they can spend eternity in God's glory. That's his will. Is it ours? That's radical change. And it's swimming upstream from the thought processes of this world. And that's what God calls us to.